scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we want your wisdom to invade us. We desire your spirit to speak to us, that we would be changed by your word, Father, that we would serve you in a more abundant fashion as we, uh, the relationships that we have. Father, we give you thanks for what you're going to do here this morning and praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning again. All right, so we are continuing through 1 Corinthians. Um, in this first chapter over the last few weeks, uh, we saw Paul speaking to these Corinthian believers and saying, we are the church of God. Not simply because we proclaim it to be true and not because of any worthiness in and of ourselves, but because God himself, he has proclaimed those who believe and trust in his son to belong to him. He sent his son to take the penalty of death that was meant for us. He changed our hearts so that we would believe in him. He chose what was weak and foolish in the world, that would be us, to shame what is strong and wise in the world. For though the gospel message is weak and foolish to an unbelieving world, to we who are his church, we know and believe that he bought us from the power of sin at a great price. And so we belong to him. We are slaves to him. He is our master. And so he ends chapter one with the proclamation, which we should all proclaim as believers. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We do not boast in ourselves for our salvation or our wisdom or our greatness or our power. We may be wise. We may be great. We may even be powerful in the world, but none of that saves us. None of that is enough to make us a child of God. He intervened, and he, by his power, made us who we are as his people. So this letter is written to Christians, to believers, and reminding them, who do you belong to, and who are you? Where does your identity lie? It lies in God. It lies in the power of the cross who changed you, and what changed you. And last week we read how Paul then uses the church as a case study to drive his point home. He says, consider your call. If you don't believe me, look, look at yourselves. Not many of you are strong or were powerful according to the standards of the world, and yet God saved you to shame the world, to shame the unbelievers in the Corinthian, in, the, in, the, in Corinth. He uses you, the weak church, to shame the strong world. But then, 
just so that the church doesn't feel like Paul is throwing them under the bus and saying, look at your own life, he says, look at mine. He uses himself as a case study where he walks through his own weaknesses and foolishness to draw the spotlight upon the strength and the wisdom of God. Because if we remember, they were arguing amongst themselves. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ. They were focused on the messenger, not the message. They had missed the point of what Paul's ministry was all about. And so Paul says, you want to look at me Let me tell you what I did when I came among you. And he draws the spotlight away from himself and onto God. And more pointedly, he says, and this is, again, spoiler alert, verse 5, this is the whole focus, the center of this passage where he says, the church's faith in God rests in the power of God, not in the wisdom of man. Your faith of belief in God does not fall on me, Do not stand on me, heaven help you. It stands on the power of God, because I did not save you, God saved you. And so we're going to go through, what are the things, there's three things leading up to that the church's faith in God rests in the power of God. And the first thing he says in chapter 2, when he first came to the Corinthians, he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul only walked around and spoke the gospel over and over and over and over again, doing and saying nothing else. That's not what he's he's saying. His words here are to point to a singular focus. Or as theologian Roy uh, Kiampa says, he desired all that he did and said to be informed by by Christ and by the cross. So it's true that God saves through the cross, but the gospel message has a much wider effect than only salvation from God's wrath for sin. This is what we call fire insurance. I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. I'm good. Now I can do whatever I want. No, Paul is saying absolutely not. The gospel does save you from the fires of hell, but it does so much more. Now there's a he, he said the gospel affects and speaks to the entirety of his life and ministry. I came to you speaking only the gospel, living out only the gospel, striving to have every part of my life point you to the cross and to Christ. Now, a very simplistic example of this is like water that's run through the grounds of coffee. There is no drop of water in which those grounds don't affect And so it is with Paul's life and his ministry. The gospel message permeates every aspect of his life. Or as he says, as he says to the church in Galatia, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, I don't live by worldly standards anymore. Every part of my life, every aspect of my life revolves around the cross, revolves around Christ. Christ and the cross are his singular focus, not just on a Sunday morning when we're sitting here for an hour, but when he goes and makes tents, when he walks through the streets of Corinth and he has conversations with people, when he goes to people's houses and he fellowships with them, the cross and Christ are his singular focus. 
But Paul also had a singular trust. He says in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now there's some debate as to what Paul is referring to with these words. Is he talking about like a physical ailment? Um, Is he suggesting some sort of spiritual warfare that he's going through you that made him tremble? But I think if we take into account the context, Paul actually uses the word weak to describe the Corinthian believers. He says in chapter 1, verse 27, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. See, Paul didn't throw around his apostolic weight, giving giving a sense of superiority to the Corinthians. That would be acting as the world acts. Instead, Paul was with them in weakness. He was with them in an attitude of humility. And as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, he says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. There's a lot of boasting that Paul talks about in these, in these letters. And so, which is also why he was with them in fear and trembling. See, both those acts are used to describe encounters with the presence of God. People fall on their face in fear and trembling. Paul knew that it was only through the power and the strength of God that he was able to accomplish his ministry to the Corinthians. He was doing the work of God through the power of God. And so Paul took a posture of humility before God in fear and much trembling. And so he's, he's humble before the people themselves. I'm with you on this. I'm a believer just like you. Yes, I'm an apostle, but I got stuff to work on. Don't put your trust in me. Put your trust in God. And then he, he comes before God with a posture of humility. He goes and he's doing the work of God and the power of God, not in his own power, for he would utterly fail otherwise. And so he had to have one singular trust because he wasn't strong enough in his own power to do the work of God that he had called him to do. But God is, and Paul knows that. And he's reminding the Corinthians, you're living in a secular world and you're striving to live for God. Put your trust in the one who has the power to do what he's calling you to do through you and in you. He was living out, Paul was living out the words of Zechariah 4.6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so Paul had a singular focus, and he had a singular trust, but he also had a singular goal. He says in verse 4, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. See, Paul did not proclaim the gospel message to them implausible words of wisdom. Now, something plausible is something that has the appearance of truth or believability, the appearance of it. There were many in the city of Corinth who would debate one another endlessly, trying to outdo one another, attempting to sway the opinion of others. See, these men persuaded through their stylistic arguments, not necessarily through truth. But Paul did not preach words that had the appearance of truth, but words which revealed their truthfulness truthfulness through the unveiled work and power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't try to convince them. Well, these, this is plausible, is it not? No, he says, 
Look at your own life. The word demonstrate that he uses means to prove. So he's pitting those two things. They didn't come to you with plausible words that have the appearance of truth. I came with you, I came to you with, with words that have been proven as true in your life. They've been demonstrated in your life. The gospel message proved itself as true through the clearly evident effect that it had on the hearts and the minds of those who believed. Your life, Corinthians, was changed from one of sexual immorality and loving the world and loving debate and plausible arguments to suddenly following God. Who does that? God does that. God's the one. And he did it in your heart. Look at the evidence, evidence that is there. The gospel proved itself as true in their lives. Or as my Bible notes put it, the Corinthians would not be persuaded by words, but by the work of the Holy Spirit in and around them. The goal of Paul's work was to see God's power manifested or revealed in the lives of the Corinthian church. He desired to see the clear and evident work of God in their lives, just as it did in his. And he's reminding them, it happened. Look what happened. Look what, what happened when you heard the gospel and you believed. Not because of my wise words, but because of the, po- of the power of God in you. Look what he did. Look what he did. And then finally, verse 5, we get to Paul's singular purpose. There was an end game to his ministry. And he makes clear when he says, that your faith. There's a connecting word, that, that right at the beginning. All of this before, this I did. This happened so that... Your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why did Paul know nothing among them but Christ and the cross? Why was he with them in weakness and fear and much trembling? Why was the power of God demonstrated through his speech and message? So that the faith of the Corinthians would stand and be founded upon the power of God and not any man. Because Paul was eventually going to leave. Paul was eventually going to die. And if their faith... Like they said, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. If it's on a man, it will utterly crumble once that man is gone, if not before then. And so his purpose was to have them put their trust in God and in God alone. Or to repeat the words of Zechariah, not by human might or by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He's going to change the hearts of his people. He does that, and he uses unimpressive preaching of Paul, who was a very impressive preacher, of me, of you, preaching his proclamation of the gospel message of the truths of God, and in one sense, you may not be standing up front like I am, but when we go out into the world, we're preaching the gospel with our lives and with our words to our neighbors and our coworkers and our fellow students. And God uses unimpressive preachers to change the hearts and the lives of people. This doesn't just lift a huge burden off of us. My faith, your faith, the faith of anyone who comes to Christ is not founded upon us. It's founded upon Him. 
And he will never let anyone who loves him, anyone who belongs to him, to be taken out of his hands. Which means I need to preach the gospel clearly. I need, we need to live out that gospel truth clearly. But we don't need a PhD. And we don't have to be this elegant order. We just speak the truth and we live it out. And God will use that to change the hearts of some who see it and hear it. And that foundation will never crumble if it's the foundation of God. And so even though these words were written to Christians in the city of Corinth thousands of years ago, they are also written so that we who believe today might grow in our faith in Christ, might better understand our call as God's church is an unbelieving, in an unbelieving world. Because the life of the Corinthians is very similar to the life that we're leading now. Life of sexual immorality, the life of we are our own God, the life of plausible arguments. My kids now say when something happens, like, How, why did that happen? And they go, logic, which is their way of saying there's no logic to it because there's no truth, ha, 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 being funny. But that's the way our world thinks. We are living in the same world, just in a different culture. And so Paul's life to us is an example for us today as the church, as those who believe. And his words in this passage, they force us to ask ourselves some difficult and pointed questions. For us to be able to evaluate our own life. Now, I'm going to say this probably a number of times, but don't hear that if you are living an unimpressive life of absolute and perfect obedience to Christ that you're not a believer. No, that's not what gets you into heaven. Faith gets you in. Repentance of sin gets you in. Belief, God changing us. Remember, he's the foundation, not us. And so when we ask these questions, when we evaluate our hearts as as believers, don't hear like, I have to do this in order to earn God's favor. We do it because he loves us already. We do it because we love him and he's our master. We want to please our master even if it's done imperfectly. And so when we ask ourselves, these are true evaluations, be true to, to what, what our heart says in this. That sounded really bad, okay? I gotta re-say that. Don't follow your heart, please don't. Be honest about where we are individually and as a church. Do we know nothing among ourselves and others except Christ and him crucified? Does the gospel message affect every aspect of our lives or is God a magical genie whom we call from the bottle in times of need? This is not something that we do as God's people in order again to earn his favor, but because we love him and he first loved us. My God is not a genie. He's the creator of the universe. And he is my savior and my Lord. And I desire to please him. And because Christ gave his life upon the cross to save us, to open the way to eternity in God's presence for us, he did something we could not do on our own. We are called to give all of our lives over to him. Or as Paul says in some of his other letters, to die to ourselves in every aspect of our lives so that others may see him 
and His great mercy. We make ourselves small and in the background so that God is made big and brought to the forefront of our lives. Does the gospel message affect every aspect of our lives? Or is God just convenient for us? Even as Christians, we can struggle with that. And this is a conviction. It should be a conviction if this is true in our hearts. Actually, I, I will say it's probably true in every one of our hearts, at least in one place of our lives. And this is God's way of reminding us to say, I love you. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. But you see this over here? I want that part of your life too. That is not separate. I want my gospel to permeate every aspect of your life. Second, do we have an attitude of posture and humility before others and before God? Or do we desire for others to see us in our greatness? Paul's trust in the Lord was evident to those who knew him and it stripped him of any self-reliance to proclaim the gospel message and to see, to see others put their trust in God. He knew that he could be the smartest man, the most elegant speaker in the world. But if he went into it with arrogance, thinking, I'm going to change these people. He might change them, but it would not change them for glory to God, and it would not be the gospel. Paul would become their savior. And so he came to them in weakness and humility. Do we do the same? Do we approach people with arrogance? Do we show grace and mercy, still speaking the truth? That doesn't mean you water down the gospel. It doesn't mean you water down the truth. It doesn't mean you ignore the truth. But it means you go into it with an attitude of humility to where they reject the message, not the messenger. Does that make sense? Third, do we desire to see the power of God manifested and revealed in the lives of those around us? Do we desire to have others give glory to God for the obvious work that he has done in their lives and hearts? Or do we point others to our own glory individually or as a church body? Do we desire people to go, man, Mark's a great speaker. Do we desire for people to say, man, Elm Creek is a wonderful church. I hope both of those are true, but it should not be the first thing that comes out of our mouth. My desire for us as a people and us as a church is that the first thing, whether we're here or we're at our work, people say, man, Mark loves God. He loves his word. I think he's nuts, but it's obvious. And he loves the church. They love one another. When they walk in here, they see we are a family, an imperfect family with all of our problems, with all of our issues, but we are a family nonetheless, and we will die for one another. We will give up ourselves for one another, not for the sake of one another, but for the sake of the glory of God, because that's what he did for us. Are we looking to see the power of God manifested in others? Do we want our neighbors to come to Christ so that we can get more people in the seats or so we can get more people in heaven? To glorify us or to glorify them? We want to see God changing their lives and their hearts? Well, then we need to point them to Christ and Christ crucified. And finally, 
And I am asking for a response to this question. Because I do ask a lot of questions that are rhetorical. This one is true. I want to hear what the answer to this is. What is our purpose as a church? Like, what is literally our purpose statement? No. I mean, that's a good one. It really is a good one. I'm not going to say that's wrong. It's to know Christ and to make him known. So yes, you are kind of true. Yeah, it's all involved in that, okay? See, those words, to know Christ and to make him known, those words are all centered around Christ because faith in God centers around Christ and the power of God through Christ crucified on the cross. Through the preaching of the gospel every single week. And as God's people even, we need to hear that because we go into an unbelieving world and we get discouraged and we look at our own hearts and, and we get discouraged. We have to be reminded our faith is not founded upon us, but upon the cross. We as God's people, not just in the ministries that we do here as a church, but as we go out as God's people is to know Christ deeply and intimately in our own lives and to make him known to the people around us. And so do we desire for our life, do, the, do we desire for our ministry here at Elm Creek and outside these walls to reflect that same truth? Do we desire, do we want to trust in God or do we trust in God or do we trust in our own human wisdom? I know for my, myself, I, I fail at just speaking the truth to my unbelieving neighbors because I'm afraid. I'm, I'm not afraid of them. I'm afraid about how I'm going to be perceived. And that's wrong. I, the fear of, of, of how people view me starts to creep in, and so then I keep my mouth shut. That is, that is wrong. Because I'm trusting in my own way. I'm not going to say it right. We've all heard the lies, right? We know those. And I have to remind myself, you really think John is going to come to Christ because of you? How arrogant can you be, Mark? And I have to remind myself of that. Go before them in humility. Go before God in humility, trusting in Him and not in our own human wisdom. Our faith in God does not rest or stand in the wisdom of men. It stands on the power of God. And if He's the creator of the universe, there ain't nothing greater what else would we put our, put our trust in? What else would our faith stand upon? Nothing can remove us from the love of God. Neither height nor depth, east or west, good or bad, nothing in this world will remove us because our faith is founded upon God. And everything we do and everything what we are should, should strive to reveal this truth to an unbelieving world. This is a real conviction for us as a church, a conviction for me personally. See, all of this is God-centered. All of this is for His glory and honor and praise. And so, as believers, if you are a believer, if you're an unbeliever, believe, <laughs> hear the gospel. The only way to heaven is through Christ. The only way to true peace and true eternal life is through belief in Christ, that he paid the price for your, for your sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Without belief in Christ, without a changed heart, you are destined for hell for all eternity. Punishment, 
There is no end to it. It is the, a very unpopular message, but it's the truth of God's word, and we will not water it down. This is how serious, this is the eternal destination of souls that I tend to forget because I'm worried about how I'm perceived. Like, if you are an unbeliever, put your faith in Christ. Believe in Him. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to someone here. Afterwards, do not leave this place without talking about this more. I'm going on vacation. I'll postpone it. That's fine. I'll walk if I have to. Because that's more important. This is more important than, than any vacation I could go on. But as believers, hear these words and be reminded of who you really are. You were bought with a price. You belong to God. And to live a life of faithfulness which reflects and reveals the glory of God and not ourselves is the most glorious calling in the world. None of us are perfect. None of us will live sinful, sinless lives on this earth. None of us will be perfect on this earth. And that will always reflect the greatness and the glory of God in our lives. But it's in our weakness, God's strength will shine through. In our foolishness, God's wisdom is revealed to an unbelieving world. I've heard it from people before. Uh, we've had family members say this to, to us when they hear the gospel and they say, you think you're better than me. And it's actually quite the opposite. No. I'm worse than you. I'm worse than you think I actually am. I know the depths of my heart. I know the dark recesses of my soul. And I know that without Christ, I'm lost. But when he came and he saved me, not because of my wisdom or my power, but because of his, he saved all of me. And I have no option but to come to him and to you in humility and say, believe. Our faith does not rest in us. Our faith does not rest in our wisdom or our strength, but in the power of God. Just soak in it this week. Sit and stew in that in a good way. And when opportunities arise to speak or to live the gospel truth, I, I just think it for myself that you can use this if you want. Remember, you think this is about you, Mark? Let yourself go. And let me do something in and through you that you can never do yourself. Let our lives as his people be pointed to him and let our faith rest in the power of God. Amen? Father, as your people, 
we ask 